Okay, so we are on the 12th lesson of our winter quarter, 2023. The title of the lesson is Esther Reveals Haman's Treachery. The scriptures are Esther chapters 5 through 7. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this book of Esther, where we can see behind the curtain where you are moving to keep your promises. Um, and uh, we pray that you would guide us as we look at this turning point in the account. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first section is section A, Esther prepares to appeal to Xerxes, or in our Bible, Ahasuerus. So remember we had a cliffhanger last week, but we read ahead, yeah, we cheated. So was that uh, Esther was challenged by Mordecai to go to her husband, the king, and appeal to him for the Jews' lives. And she said to Mordecai, well, you know that if you go to the king without being summoned, you are executed. So she was worried about that. And then they had a three-day total fast. Uh, no food, no water for three days. So this is where we pick it up. Uh, this is at the end of those three days. So why don't I read that part? That is verses 1 through 8 of chapter 5. So now it came about on the third day, the third day of the fast, that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther, and what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be given to you. Esther said, If it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. As they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. So Esther replied, My petition and my request is... If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. Okay, so they did their three-day fast. We are not told that they prayed. I imagine that somebody prayed if the Jews are threatened with extinction. I know, I'm sure that the Jews in Jerusalem prayed because they were being faithful to the Lord and they were following the Lord and they were doing what the Lord desired and that included prayer. Um, you know, I would imagine that people in Persia, the Jews in Persia, prayed too, but we are not told that. But they did fast. 
So after this three-day total fast, which is pretty vigorous, I can't imagine going without anything to drink for three days. That's about the limit of not taking in liquids and still living. So Esther puts on her best clothing, and she stands in the king's line of sight. And she already had started a, a banquet to be prepared. Smart petition. Right. So what do you think her state of mind was at this time? So what do you think Esther's state of mind was as she stood there? Yeah, she was probably, you know, remember what we ended on last time. It said, if I perish, I perish. So there's a possibility that the king would not look favorably on her and she'd be executed. So she was probably, her heart was probably going pitter-pat. And I have something to read here from the quarterly. Oh, this is, okay, it says, The three chapters studied in this lesson form the pivot of the book of Esther. Three main features stand out. First, Esther becomes assertive. Remember, before this, she just did what Mordecai told her to do. Um, but at the end of the last lesson, she commanded Mordecai to fast. She remains so to the end of the book. Second, a string of dramatic coincidences reveals the intimate involvement of God in the deliverance of his people. And third, Haman's towering pride makes his fall from royal favor all the more dizzying. So that's what we're going to see here. Esther starts to pick up her mantle as queen. God is working overtime in the background, and, you know, pride causes a fall. And that's what we're going to see for Haman. So verse 2 says, When the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, so she didn't just walk up to him, she just dressed up in her finery and stood in where he could see her and waited. It says, when the queen saw Esther, the, the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight, and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. So she obtained favor. What do you think caused that? Yeah, maybe it was the Lord caused that. The Lord caused that. This is the third time in this book that we learned that Esther obtained favor. Back in chapter 2, verse 15, this is when she was taken into the harem. The harem of the virgins. It says, Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, came to go into the king, she did not request anything, except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women, advised. And Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Then in verse 17 of that same chapter, chapter 2, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins. You know, why should she get favor? Well, because the Lord is working things out. That's why she got favor. So, um, verse 3, the king says, her husband, first he addresses her by her title. 
What is troubling you, Queen Esther? Now, the king knew about this law. He made this law, that if you come to the king without the king calling you, you are executed. And we saw that last time that even if you're a hero, you know, you can have an exemption to this, except when you, the, the king is with his wife. And this hero ignored that, walked in when the king was with his wife, and he and his family were executed. So um, the queen knows that, or the king knows that if she is coming to him and he hasn't called her, something's wrong. Because uh, no one in the right mind would do that. So he says, what is troubling you, Queen Esther, and what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be given to you. I can't believe he means that. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'll take half of the kingdom, yeah. So I think it's just, you know, yeah, yeah, I don't know what you call that. Hyperbole. Hyperbole, exaggeration, yeah. He, she had favor in his eyes. So he's very favorable to her here. Then verse 4, Esther talked to him as though he's the king, not her husband. said, if it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet I have prepared for him. So do you think this was a good move before giving her news? She's trying to butter up the king, isn't she? You know, invite him to a banquet. She has the banquet prepared. Who doesn't like to go to a banquet? <laughs> So verse 5, then the king said, bring Haman quickly, that we may do as Esther desires. So here the king drops the formalities. He just calls her Esther. And uh, he's very willing to accommodate her desires. So this is for from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. The guy who wrote this was John Martin. He was at Dallas Seminary. He said it was un, an unusual honor to be invited to a banquet with the queen, for Persian officials were protective of their wives. And that will come into play later, when Haman gets a little too friendly with Esther. So verse 6, as they drank their wine at the banquet, you know, this is an after-dinner drink. The king again said to Esther, what is your petition, for it shall be granted to you, and what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. So king asks her what's going on again. And uh, now, at this time, would you tell the king what was going on? Well, it doesn't say, it doesn't say he's drunk. You know, in, the, in chapter one, it did say he was feeling no, no pain. He was feeling merry. Yeah, here it doesn't say that. It's just an after-dinner drink. They're relaxing, you know. And uh, so verses 7 and 8, Esther, my petition, my request is, come to another banquet tomorrow, you and Haman. Now, why do you think she waited? Do you have any ideas? I don't have an answer to that question, by the way. I don't know. I don't know why she waited, but we're going to find out that the Lord prepares the king in the meantime. So maybe it just goes to show you that the Lord is sovereign. 
and he takes into account the the will of the people that he made and still gets his will done. He takes it into account. He takes into account the will of Satan and the demons. He takes into account everything, and yet he gets his way, always. <laughs> it works out that way. So it, it doesn't tell us why Esther had him come. She had him there. They were having a nice banquet. You know, they the king was buttered up now. He was willing to listen to her, clearly. And she decided to have another banquet tomorrow. So that's where we are now. So our next section is Haman plans to kill Mordecai. That's verses 9 through 14, chapter 5. Somebody want to read that section? Okay, thank you. Yeah, so verse 9, Then Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart. He thought it was great that he was invited to a banquet with the king and queen. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. So here, here we see two proud men, Haman and Mordecai. We, we, you know, I mean, last time we couldn't really figure out why Mordecai refused to bow down when he was told to by the king. There was nothing in the Mosaic Law that told him not to. Yeah, well, and he made the comment it's because he was Jewish. So I, I don't know. But um, he triggered a an ethnic cleansing in Persia by doing this, and he's still doing it. He is still doing it. But then Haman is also proud. So the difference between the two is one of these people has the Abrahamic covenant and one does not. Mordecai has the Abrahamic covenant. Haman does not have it. And part of the Abrahamic, Abrahamic covenant or the promises that went with it was if you attack the Jews, if you curse the Jews, God himself will curse you. And uh, if you look through scripture, it's it's like in, in kind. The Lord does it in kind. You know, when the Pharaoh drowned the Egyptian boys, what happened to the Pharaoh's army when they tried to pursue him through the Red Sea? They were all drowned, you know, etc. And so the, the Lord brings the curse back in kind. Well, Haman wants to kill all the Jews, and he wants to kill Mordecai. We'll see what happens with that. Verse 10, Haman was able to control himself. However, he went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And then he begins to brag. Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches, the number of his sons, and every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. He also said, Even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she had prepared, and tomorrow also I am invited by her with the queen. Now, what does God think about pride? So I I looked up a few verses on pride. These are not this is not exhaustive. I'm just going to read a few of them because otherwise it'll take too long. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I looked up eleven verses on pride. 
So this is Proverbs 16, 16 and 17. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. That's pride. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Let's see, here's Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. Let me see what that says. Yeah, so this is the this is in the law, the second reading of the law, when Moses says, you go into the land, you listen to me, I'm going to make you wealthy. Basically. That's my, that's my translation. So then I'll go back to verse 16. This is Deuteronomy 8, verse 16. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. So, see, he's humbling them with the manna. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. If you're able to make wealth, the Lord has given you the ability to do that. I'll look up. I'll look up just one more because it takes too long to look things up over and over again. This is Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. Verse 2, Proverbs 11, verse 2. There are so many verses related to pride in the Bible, and they're all against it. James 4.10 says, The Lord resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you're prideful, God will come against you. An omnipotent God, an omnipotent God coming against you is very bad. <laughs> so, I know, it is pretty funny, isn't it? That's my brain degenerating. So, uh, yeah, so we, yeah, we're all the same boat, Vicki. Um, so you don't want that. And Haman has not learned that, you know, he's, he's bragging about his riches, about the number of his sons. Yeah. The Persians were very proud of the number of progeny they had. And, uh, and this fact that he got, Invited to this banquet with the king and queen. He's very proud of this. Our, our goal is to be like Jesus, who emptied himself and became as a man, and not only a man, a carpenter, and not only a carpenter, he became like a crook that was crucified. Very humble. Uh, if you're humble, God will lift you up. The way to go up is to go down. And not false humility, you know, we know what false humility is. Um, yeah. But, you know, we want to be accurate about our assessment of ourselves. The Lord has given us everything we have. He's given us our life. He's given us our talents. You know, he's given us our physical possessions. 
such as they are. He's given us a spiritual gift if we believe in Jesus. Everything we have is from him. And so um, when we uh, use them and things turn out well, we should give glory to him because he's the one who gave us those things. So anyway, Haman, you know, unbelieving, high-ranking Persian, of course, didn't understand this. And he was an anti-Semite to the core. Persia changed its name to Iran in, I don't know, the 1930s or something. So he's doing all this bragging, except, verse 13, yet all this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. He was the second most powerful in Persia. He was wealthy, all this stuff. He couldn't stand it that Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. He could not stand it. <laughs> and, you know, after this, you know, Haman says Jew in a sneering fashion, but after this, Mordecai is always called Mordecai the Jew. Mordecai the Jew. And Mordecai the Jew is going to win in this conflict. Okay, so verse 14, you see that Haman's wife and his friends are of the same mindset that he is. Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made in the morning, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it, then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. The, the quarterly tells us that uh, the gallows was probably a spike. Right. And so that's it wasn't a gallows like we think of, where he hanged by the neck. It was, uh, they would impale people. And this is very tall, 75 feet tall, to hold Mordecai's body, impaled body, up high to see, don't mess with me. That's what Haman wanted to show, don't, don't you mess with me. So we're to section C, Haman forced to honor Mordecai. Now we see what God is doing. So this first banquet, for some reason, Esther asked them to come back. So now we go, Haman is ticked off by Mordecai. He decides to put up this tall spike. Now the king's not able to sleep. So this is... Uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. During that night, the king could not sleep, so he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. It was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. The king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows which he had prepared for him. The king's servants said to him, Behold, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king desire to honor more than me? Then Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king desires to honor, 
let them bring a royal robe which the king has worn and the horse on which the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown has been placed and let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes let them array the man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor then the king said to haman take quickly the robes and the horse as you have said and do so for mordecai the jew who is sitting at the king's gate do not fall short in anything of all that you have said so haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor then mordecai returned to the king's gate but haman hurried home mourning with his head covered Haman recounted to Zeresh his wife and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and Zeresh his wife said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. So this is interesting, right? The king couldn't sleep. So in one of our lessons, we read that, you know, the uh, kings of Persia were not literate. So they would, would have people read to them. And they, you know, so he couldn't sleep. So he called somebody in to read to him from his chronicles of his reign. Now, this happened, this is about five years later, when Esther became queen this is actually something we skipped. This is from Esther chapter 2, verse 21. It says, In those days while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Than and Teresh, two of the king's officials, from, who, from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. That was five years earlier. So he couldn't sleep. Somebody just thumbs through these Chronicles to a certain place and starts reading. And he reads this account from five years earlier. And uh, he says, has anything been done about this? And they say no in verse 3 of chapter 6. The king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. This makes me want to read something from the quarterly about the kings of Persia. So the Greek historian Herodotus narrated several instances of Persian emperors rewarding exceptional service quickly and lavishly to prove they were great monarchs. Xerxes must have been appalled to find out Mordecai had never been honored for saving his life. So that's what's going on here. Yeah, there was a conspiracy to assassinate the king. And Mordecai discovered it, told Esther... Esther told the king, yeah, and that was five years earlier, and they put those two on spikes, <laughs> and they ne he never uh, 
honored uh, Mordecai for doing that. So that's why he's like, let's do this real fast. And then we come to another coincidence. So the king said, who is it? Who's in the court? You know, this must have been very early morning. Haman had just entered the outer court. Yeah, because remember, his wife told him, you know, in the morning, make the gallows in the morning go and ask the king to hang Haman or uh, Mordecai on it. So Haman's going to ask the king if he can execute Mordecai. So he's standing in the outer court in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows. Then the king's servant said to him, Behold, Haman is standing in the court. The king said, Let him come in. So Haman is going in thinking one thing. The king is expecting him thinking another. Haman's pride has set him up for this. Okay? His wife had something to do with it too. The, see, the Lord is arranging everything to work out. Exactly right. So verse 6, So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman misunderstands. Because, of course, his pride says, Well, that must be me. <laughs> Notice he doesn't ask for money. He's already very wealthy. He doesn't ask for power because he's already the second in the kingdom. What does he ask for? He wants recognition. He wants recognition from the people. Then verse 10, so Haman goes through this long rigmarole that he wants to be done to him, you know. And then verse 10, then the king said to Haman, take quickly the robes and the horse as you have said and do so for Mordecai the Jew, his arch enemy, who is sitting at the king's gate and don't neglect anything that you have said. Make sure you complete it all. Well, Haman, you know, he, he knew what kind of uh, kingdom he was in. He did it. He's not going to go against it. So he took the robe and the horse, he arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Then look how Mordecai responds to it. Mordecai returned to the king's gate. He just went back to work. <laughs> he just went back to his job. He's like, yeah, okay. No big deal. You know, he went back to what he's doing before. It'd been five years earlier. So he's like, yeah, nice. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, too little, too late. Yeah. Although that was a pretty big deal. But look at Haman's response. Haman hurried home mourning with his head covered. He was embarrassed. He was embarrassed because he was prideful. It's easy for a prideful person to get embarrassed. If you're if you're a hum if you're a humble person, you don't care that much. You know. So Mordecai is kind of minimally affected, and Haman is crushed. And then, what does his family predict? Haman recounted to Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and Zeresh's wife said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin. Now, why would they say that? 
why would they say that? They, you know, the uh, quarterly said, well, they're superstitious. But that, what does that have to do with your Jewish or origin? I think they had some knowledge of God's promise to the Jews. Yeah, I don't know. But if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. Maybe they knew about the uh, prophecy of Cyrus. I don't know. I'm speculating now. But here they appear to understand that God had promised to protect the Jews. So that would not make Haman feel good. And then, look how, while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. So he is not feeling good as he's going to this second banquet. Okay, so section D, Xerxes, that's Ahasuerus, orders Haman's execution. Chapter 7. Somebody want to read chapter 7? Thank you, ma'am. Verse 1, chapter 7. Now the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther the queen. So banquet number 2. King said to Esther on the second day, also as they drink their wine at the banquet, what is your petition, Queen Esther? So again, he's using her title. It shall be granted you, and what is your request? Even to half the kingdom it shall be done. King asks Esther her request in a favorable tone. He he is favorable toward her. And now, finally, Esther is going to get to the point in verse 3. Then Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor in your sight, O king. She does not talk to him as a husband. She talks to him as the king. O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Remember, that was the language of the edict. To be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. Haman is sitting over here listening to this. Now, if we had only been sold, and this is remarkable here. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent. For the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. So if they were just put into slavery, she wouldn't say anything. Verse 5 is amazing. It shows you how dense the king is. Then King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, who is he? And where is he who would presume to do this? Remember when Haman told the king that, he, that there was a certain people, he didn't say who they were. There's a certain people that's in your kingdom. They're spread through the kingdom, and they have different laws, and they don't obey your laws. The king never inquired. He never asked. He gave, just gave him his authority. So he doesn't even know what's going on after <laughs> all of this, you know? I mean, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So then Esther said she named the culprit, Verse 6, Esther said, A foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. So she nailed him. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. Because the queen, the king is favorable toward her, you know, and Haman sees this. 
So he is terrified. Then verse 7, the king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. What do you think Haman should have done then? He should have left. Because, I mean, just think of how the Persian kings are with their women. They have a harem for the virgins. The virgins come in and sleep with the king. Once, they go to the harem for the concubines. They, no other man can have them. That yeah, that no other man can have them once they've been with the king. They have to live in the harem for the concubines for the rest of their lives, unless the king calls them back by name. He he had all the women he wanted, all the women he wanted, and this is what Esther was taken into. And so, you know, Haman knew how this worked. He should have ran for his life out of that room. He did not do that. So, but Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. And now here's another coincidence. Verse 8. And when the king returned from the palace garden into the place where they were drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. You know, because he's begging. Then the king said, will he even assault the king with me in the house? He didn't have to give an order. As the word went out from the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face, probably with a sack, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, because the Persian kings were very touchy about their ladies, they didn't want anyone, you know, all their servants were eunuchs because of this because they didn't want their ladies touched. And uh, so anyway, we see from verse 9 that the palace staff were not very thrilled with Haman either. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs who were before the king, said, Behold, indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. Says, you want to know something to do with Haman? Look over there. <laughs> and the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. So this is overturning of Haman, and exactly what he wanted to do to a Jew, Mordecai, was done to him instead. That is Genesis 12, verse 3. But there's still a problem because there's an edict that has been published and the Persian laws are unrepealable. The laws of the Medes and Persians cannot be repealed. So there's an edict that on the 12th, 13th day of the 12th month, you can kill all the Jews you want and take their stuff. So that's what we're going to deal with next week on dealing with that edict. Yeah, so Lord, we thank you for this uh, book which uh, demonstrates your very intricate workings behind the scenes in everyone's life, not just these people's lives. We know you do that to every one of us, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.